Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking some Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And today, I've got to talk about some roster mismanagement, unfortunately, at least in in my opinion. Uh, I did not end up getting you ups and downs uh, for the series against the Phillies. I apologize for that. I kind of got to work on some projects we're doing here at Mile High Sports that are going to be primarily on YouTube. So again, reminder to subscribe to Mile High Sports on YouTube and all the social media stuff out there. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming your way that I'm very, very excited about. So I will get you ups and downs for the entire road trip when it's over. But for now, I wanted to step aside a little bit uh, because the games, while they've had a couple of decent wins in here, the for the most part, the team continues to struggle in mostly the same ways they have. I'll, I'll still dive into the details, but still, I wanted to talk about this specific issue because I think it's the biggest thing going on with the Rockies right now, at least in terms of like the the immediate on-the-field roster stuff, right? I wrote about Elaris Montero and my general just sort of lack of understanding with what the Colorado Rockies are doing. As somebody who, quite frankly, prides myself in being able to understand their mindset, agree with it, disagree with it or not, I feel like I have, over the years, been more than fair, oftentimes criticized for being far too charitable or lenient on understanding why the Rockies are doing something they're doing. Everything from why they didn't trade Trevor's story at the deadline to even certain things having to do with the Nolan Arenado trade, particularly pointing out that they actually saved money in the trade rather than losing it. But, right, those things I'm... When I see the case to be made, I am more than happy to make the case even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Because I think it's important that the case be made. All of that is my way of saying, I do not understand what they're doing with the Lauris Montero. Now, I'm going to get to their argument as best I can make it at the end and and do some silver linings and talk to you a little bit about Nolan Jones and, and Michael Tolia and some fun stuff at the end here. But I do have to say, this boggles the mind that they have sent down Lauris Montero after some admittedly pretty bad defensive play. He had a two-error game. He had like five errors in a very short period of time. He was among the league leaders. And not just the errors, he was also making other defensive like miscues or like not making certain plays that are going to go down as a base hit. But a decent defender probably turns them into out. Certainly a very good defender would. I've talked before a little bit about how I think Rockies fans and media and probably the coaching staff as well has also gotten a little bit used to pretty stellar defense at third base. And so the drop-off, I'm sure, was drastic and and it felt, you know, awful in in a lot of ways. But I, I sent out a tweet that I want to dive into the ethos of now. And it is that the Rockies have long held a philosophical belief that they would rather have on their roster a veteran who's just not performing well than a rookie or a young player who might have more ceiling, more of an opportunity, might be more exciting for people like me and for fans or whatever else, but is prone to making mistakes, right? And this isn't just the Rockies, and it's not, in fact, most professional head coaches, managers, whatever you want to call them, right, 
people who, who lead these teams, you'll hear broadcasters say this all the time. You know, they can stomach you missing the jump shot in basketball. What they can't stomach is you taking a really bad jump shot, right? They can, they're okay if you don't end up making the winning play. What they don't like is the mistake, the mental mistake, the the lack of fundamentals, right? And when it comes to defense at third base, Alaris Montero lacks some of the fundamentals. And so I understand what they're doing. Also, his bat was starting to dip a little bit in terms of its production. And so their best argument that they can make, I guess I'll do it now, <laughs> it has to be on his behalf. It can't be... You know, we just can't have that defense at the major league level, which I fear is too much of a part of the decision-making process. It has to be about, we believe that Montero needs to grow, not just in the field, but also at the plate a little bit more. And we believe that the best place for him to do that is in AAA, that it's the best thing for him and that they expect him to be back later in this season with a vengeance, you know, because... If it really is just about, hey, we need a veteran who can play. Now, obviously, moving McMahon over, McMahon's a tremendous third baseman. But what that does then essentially is now it's either Harold Castro or Alan Trejo or some of these other guys playing second base or they can kind of move them around however they need to a little bit. But still, it's it, those guys, right, who just aren't. Again, it's that thing that the Rockies do where a veteran player not making, not adding anything. Harold Castro's hitting like a buck 80, you know? Um, but he's not going to make the mistake that really, really angers the manager and the coaching staff during the course of the game where you go, that play really ought to have been made, you know? So I did write about this. And since then, the Rockies have sent him down. And... They keep creating a narrower and narrower window under which their general philosophy can even be defended at this point, right? And I do still think there's something there, but I, so I kind of did this in spring training and I'll readily admit that what I'm doing right now is moving the goalposts, right? It, because what I said in spring training was essentially... The signing of these veteran players, Moustakis, Profar, the, and the carrying of guys like Harold Castro, that's all fine if those are depth guys and they're not fully blocking anybody. As long as you're, you know, and I even said literally, like, as long as you're committing to Montero at third base, which they did not do. They didn't commit to him at third base. They gave him a chance, and then at the first sign of trouble, they bailed. Again, they may not view it that way. They they may not view it as a punishment for having done bad. They may view it as, hey, he's in a tough spot right now. We just want him to get right. We think the best thing for him is to do it. But it sure looks and feels like he was just given a very slim chance to succeed. And at the again, at the first sign that it really wasn't going to go that way, they fell back into their habit of, well, we'd rather have a guy who's an okay defender and a bad hitter and just isn't, you know, has a whole resume behind him of not being very good. So there's not a whole lot of hope 
that he's going to get better, right? Harold Castro has been doing this for seven or eight years in Detroit now. Like he's never been an above average hitter. It's kind of like the Jose Urania conversation. The difference between him and Austin Gomber, something I'll talk about when I get to the ups and downs, right? How can I be so down on Jose Urania when Austin Gomber is very close to the same numbers? Well, it's because Austin Gomber has two years behind him on his resume, one of which was actually pretty good. And Urania's got now eight or nine, none of which have been good. Right? And so, having a guy like Harold Castro, you know, I know there are believers in Alan Trejo, and I'd love to be proven wrong about him, but I have seen him as a quadruple A guy the whole time. And any of those guys, as a backup, Alan Trejo is a really great backup utility guy to have on your team. Can play third, short, second, is a really good defender, and can put together a decent at-bat for you, but he just lacks the power to be truly dangerous at the plate. And, you know, can be beaten by pretty good pitching. Like, he's just not really a weapon at the plate, though. There are times, you know, you can't make a, a bad mistake to him. He's pretty good at, you know, hit the ball the other way. Nice little base hit for you. Uh, where some guys are more prone. But again, that's like the perfect example of what I'm talking about, right? Where where a guy like Tolia or Michael, or Michael Jones, Michael Tolia, Nolan Jones, uh, Nolan Tolia, might strike out on three pitches, have a really ugly at bat where, you know, Castro or Trejo might work the count full and roll it over to the second baseman. And for some reason, that seems to be better to the Rockies. Now that... I defended this mindset, or, or rather explained it to the best of my ability, again, back to that part of my job, right, is to explain what they're doing, back when they were competitive in 17 and 18, and, and even in years when they thought they were going to be competitive and things were falling apart in 19 and 20, this philosophy made sense, right, when they were playing Ian Desmond over Ryan McMahon and Rymel Tapia. It wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. In fact, I think hindsight in history shows it probably wasn't the right thing to do. Though it's hard to say that Tapia or McMahon would necessarily have performed better than Desmond. It's difficult to see how too many people could have performed much worse in that season, right? And so, uh, particularly in, in 18, when the team was really good and he, and he really was kind of the black hole in the lineup. Could a younger player have done better? Would they have done the exact same? I don't know. But in that instance... I understood them saying, at the very least with Desmond, we know we've got a guy who's a good athlete, who can put together a good at-bat, who can play a bunch of different positions on the diamond, and who's a veteran who's been there before, who's not going to be scared by the big moment. right? He may, again, it's back to this thing. He may not succeed, but he won't fail because he's inexperienced or scared or whatever, right? where McMahon or Tapia might have. But you're already... All of the games under 500 right now, right? You're already out of it. And I know that's something that they're not ready to admit, certainly not publicly and maybe not even internally. I don't know. But now isn't then. <laughs> the Rockies are not competing for a postseason spot. And so playing these underperforming veterans over underperforming young players, just in my mind, does not make sense unless now let me do my here's my best job right here i i will i know that this is what people come to me for so uh like i said i'm moving the goalpost to 
how can this succeed? Because I already said, well, here's one way it could work, and they didn't do that. But, again, a lot of it is built around the same premise when it comes to the veterans. And I've talked about this a couple of times before. And there was a nice little bit of, of road trip performance from Jerickson Profar, Mike Moustakis in particular, that made me go, okay, maybe they can pull this off. But it essentially has to be the case now. Before it was like, well, they do that or they don't do that. As long as Tovar and Montero are playing enough, they call those other guys up eventually. Whatever happens with these veterans does or doesn't. It didn't have to be the case. But essentially now you, you've got to run it because those guys are, are in AAA. Profar... And Moustakis, at the very least, I, I don't think Castro is going to gain a ton of like trade value or anything. And talking about Blackman and Crone is is a different conversation. But similar part of you know trading away veterans to make way for the young guys. But again, as we're talking about the philosophy of the Rockies coming into the season, why did they sign these one-year veteran contracts? to guys, if they're just going to pay them for the one year, not get anything out of them, block their young players in that meantime, and, you know, who knows when and where they'll get their opportunities. Well, if it turns out, and Moose, I think, has got it a little bit. I think they could get a little something out of Moose. I, I think that may end up looking like a, a sneaky little pickup here, but, but, but they have to play it this way. They've got to trade them. They've got to trade these veteran players for whatever they can get. And closer to the deadline now, you can commit, like, you don't want to yo-yo guys back and forth a ton. So you let Montero stay down in AAA for a month at least, right? Closer to the deadline. You hope some of these veterans can put up some decent numbers. They're not going to blow the world away, but enough that a, a team out there would go, yeah, 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 we could use that guy. And... Then you make those moves. You get whatever you can in return. And by that time, presumably, the Rockies will be so far out of it that it won't need me or anybody else being out there like arguing like, hey, this season isn't going to go how you want it to. You need to turn it over to the young players. The numbers will just be incontrovertible, right? It'll just be like, it's June 1st and you're nearly mathematically eliminated. <laughs> you might want to play guys who are going to be a part of your future and not veterans on one-year contracts. It makes no sense. Again, unless they can pull this off. They can trade those guys for something. You hope Montero, Tolia get as hot as Nolan Jones has been. Then you call them up at that time. You really do hand the season over to them for the last couple of months. You hope it's the last three months last four months, three and a half months instead of the last two months. And then, you know, especially if Montero does come back and is successful, then in hindsight, we can all go, okay. You know, same thing with Jones, Tolia, all these guys. Like in the long run, how they're handled, the most important thing is not whether or not they're on the major league roster right now or the AAA roster right now. The most important thing for them is whether or not they're going to be in the best position to help this team succeed in 2024 and beyond. A lot of us, myself included, think that that means they should basically just be playing at the major league level right now. If there's an argument to be made that another month or two for those guys will put them in the best possible position to do that, okay, then that's what needs to play out here. Right? As Montero was hanging in there at the plate, not scorching hot numbers, but he was putting together good at-bats. 
like I said, cooled off a little bit lately, but he's at least putting the bat on the ball. Anyway, that's the deal. And if it turns out that we're past the trade deadline, talking about a team that still has all these veterans on it, talking about all three of these players and Zach Veen, Andrew Romo, all still in the minor leagues. And the Colorado Rockies have fundamentally failed to do what they should have set out to do in 2023. It doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go down that way. Like I said, I, I hope I painted a scenario there by which, you know, we recognize some good can come from all of this. There is a best case where they get something out of these veterans that bolsters this young core, that adds to it, and they really do hand it over to them, right? And maybe it is the case that what Montero needs is just a little bit more tweaking in AAA to come back and really turn into a monster. But boy, oh boy, is it difficult to see the reasoning behind this one. Like I said, let me end on a happy note on this same conversation. I mentioned his name a couple of times, so you may be wondering, well, what of Nolan Jones? Super weird that the Rockies called him up for a series and a day and did not play him at all. What was that all about? First of all, it was about getting him paid a little bit, which I think is nice. But but I had mentioned during this, right, that as frustrating as all the stuff I just talked about in that first, basically, major primary segment of the show, right, all that frustration is is very legitimate about whether or not they're doing the right things by the roster and, and, and putting these guys in a position to succeed in the future. But I did argue that if being called up for three or four days and not playing completely breaks your rhythm and your approach at the plate and you go back down and you fall into a terrible slump, that's not a great sign for your ability to be a consistent major league ball player, right? That's a part of a test of becoming consistency is maybe the most important tool that a major league ball player can have. Consistency is the thing that separates a guy who's got all of the tools but will never get out of double A AA or triple A from, quite frankly, guys like Alan Trejo and Harold Castro who have consistency of performance. And so that's what they are looking for out of these young players, right? So Nolan Jones sent back down. Got right back into it. Continues to hit. Got a base hit in his first game back down. Hit a home run yesterday, uh, day before yesterday in his most recent game. So the updated totals for you are he has played in 16 games, 76 plate appearances. He's walking 13.2% of the time, and he's got that strikeout rate down under 20% to 19.7. Last time I talked to you, it was about 24% uh, about him specifically. And I was saying, hey, that's reasonable. That's in the realm where you can live with it, right? 19% for a guy with his kind of power is now you're talking incredible stuff. Don't necessarily expect to see that translate to the big leagues. But again, if you're looking at the peripherals more than just the raw numbers, that's probably the most important one for Nolan Jones. And the longer he can keep that up again, back to the conversation about consistency, not striking out, that's going to be his ticket. And he will get to come up and actually play in a big league game for the Rockies and quite a few of them. If he keeps that up, he's batting 359 on basing 447, slugging an absolutely ridiculous 781. That recent home run I mentioned brought him up to eight on the season. He's got 24 ribbies 
in 16 games. And he's even stolen a base for you out there. So 185 WRC plus for Nolan Jones for your Albuquerque isotopes. Again, about as good as you possibly could have hoped for, especially considering the up and down as it were, right? So now it just turns out that he got a nice little bonus to the old bank account. I got to hang out with the big league guys for a little bit, hop on the plane, uh, go to Seattle, experience it. Now he's, he's actually experienced a little bit of, of big league life before, but to get to be around this team, right? That he's hopefully in his mind and in the Rockies mind going to be a big part of, of the future of got to be around that a little bit. And so when he comes back up the next time, which I, I imagine will be when he gets to play, uh, he'll be a bit more uh, familiar with everything and won't have to be going through all of that. So I know I've said this before, but it, it is worth repeating. I know some people are very frustrated when they see this in particular. Um, you, you know, Tolia, by the way, is hitting right about at league average. He's got the WRC plus at 99. So uh, striking out 28% of the time. Another good reminder that these guys do still need a little bit more seasoning. And while, again, I agree, I have to keep saying it, I have to make sure the caveat is clear, I agree. If it was up to me, they'd all be playing. Look, man, if it was up to me, Jones, Tolia, Montero, uh, Tovar would be running this joint. I'd still probably have Blackman and Crone on the team because you do need a couple of veterans, but I never would have brought in Moose or Profar. And I like I like the Moustakis. I really like talking to Mike Moustakis, too. He's, he's a really... Like just cool guy, man. He's just one of those good dudes, you know. One of those, and one of those baseball guy, baseball guys who who will absolutely talk baseball with you for however long he's got, you know. But those are not moves that I would have made. All right, so I, I get it, and and I'm I'm with all of that. That said, it is a very 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 good thing that Nolan Jones is tearing up AAA. That's precisely what you want. You want these other players to join him. Because as frustrating as it is that it's not happening right now, it's going to happen. These guys are going to take over at some point. And the best case scenario is that they're in the best place physically, mentally, and mechanically to do that when the time comes. Which unfortunately appears like it's at least a couple of months away. So in the meantime... I will continue to do my best to give you ups and downs on the performances of Jose Urania and Harold Castro. <laughs> and I will do my best. Now, I will say Ryan Feltner and Noah Davis are something to watch now, right? Uh, hopefully Marquez is going to get out there before too long. The return of Antonio Senzatella should be fun and interesting. Uh, you know, I, I I do think that Ezekiel Tovar is going to start coming around and being that exciting thing to watch that we were all hoping for. So there, I do think there's going to be stuff, but boy, do they make it more difficult. Uh, and I guess we're all just going to have to start tuning into some Albuquerque Isotopes games. I'm going to do that, actually. I'm, I used to watch minor league baseball all the time. Uh, then I got so plugged into all the major league stuff that I, I just started doing it less and less. And I basically got out of the habit of it and just started checking in on highlights and box scores when I needed to and not really watching them live. But it might be time to start watching some Albuquerque Isotopes games live because they've, they've been exciting. They've been incredible. Brenton Doyle, by the way, another guy I'm very excited to talk about on upcoming podcasts. And he was playing great down there for a little while before he got called up. It's been really neat to see him get out there. But... Yeah, man. The, well, while there's stuff like that, this was just a big blow to the the idea that 
in spite of some of the unfair criticism, the Rockies might have known what they were doing a little bit here. This this makes that <laughs> a lot harder of a of an argument to make. But as is all things in the world of sport, it must play out on the field ultimately over the course of the season. We we can predict and we can prognosticate, but the game ain't played on paper. It's played on baseball diamonds. So thank you all for listening into this episode. Let me know how you're feeling about all this stuff out there on Twitter and the Discord chat, wherever you can find me. Make sure you're checking out all of the other Mile High Sports podcasts right here on the network. And of course, all of the written content over at milehighsports.com. In the meantime, I can only ever ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Priestman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ball.